Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is April the 7th, and our chapter for today is 1 Kings chapter 9. Let's begin at verse 1. And it came to pass when Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house and all Solomon's desire, which he wanted to do, that the Lord appeared to Solomon the second time. He did this as he appeared to him at Gibeon. Now let's stop there just a moment. Think about this. As we walk through our lives, as we seek the face of God ourselves, many times we are told that we are to encounter God every day. And hopefully we do in the sense of he lives inside of every child of God, the weakest of us. God lives within us if we have given our heart and life to Jesus Christ and we belong to him. But we are told from time to time by Bible teachers and preachers that we are to expect a miracle every day. It's odd because that's just not the teaching of Scripture. You see, it is a miracle that we're alive. It is a miracle that we experience the mercy and grace of God every day. But to have a supernatural intervention from heaven and a meeting with God that is supernatural in every aspect is just not the plain teaching of the Bible, Old or New Testament. Do we walk with God? Yes. Can we be controlled by the Spirit every moment? Yes. Can we be aware of His presence every moment? Yes. As long as our life is walking with Him and we are in harmony with Him and we are obeying Him, yes. But the reality is that a divine intervention from heaven is not going to happen every day. It didn't happen in Paul's life. It didn't happen in Peter's life. It didn't happen in the Old Testament saints' life. It certainly didn't happen in Solomon's life. Did you read this passage today? Look what it says. He appeared to Solomon for the second time after he had built the temple. Now, what that means is when he first became king, God appeared to him at Gibeon. But it was in the fourth year of his reign that he began building the temple. It was seven years in building. And God appeared to him in 11 years only twice. And the last time that God spoke to Solomon, it was not good because Solomon had disobeyed the Lord. And we'll see that in the coming podcast. But what I want you to understand is that in the Old Testament, sometimes we get the idea when we read of Elijah and we read of Elisha and we read of the great miracles, that these things happened all the time. The Bible is written episodically. We must never forget that. And so it records in the life of a man only a few events. But we get the idea that this is something happening all the time. You see, even when Elijah was being fed by the ravens, we only get a glimpse of that. When Elijah was at the widow's house, only a glimpse of that. Elijah on Mount Carmel, only a glimpse of that. Elijah under the juniper tree, just a glimpse of that. 
And if we took even the life of the Lord Jesus and we added up all the episodes of his life that are recorded, then we would not even fill up a week. And so what were people doing the rest of the time? Well, they were walking with God and obeying him and doing what they knew to do. You see, God has given us clear revelation in Scripture. And what we need to do is walk in obedience to what we know to do. We don't have to have anything else to do except just what he says to do. If we need direction, he'll give us direction. My children used to say to me, Dad, what else do I do after I finish this? And I would say, finish what I told you to do, and then I'll give you the next assignment. Because I didn't want to give them an assignment and them not fulfill the first one that I gave them. This is the way God is with us. Rarely will God give us more light than we're already walking in. The reality is his word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And the lamp that the psalmist was talking about was not a Coleman lantern. It was not a flashlight or a mag light. It was a candle light. It was a lamp light. And that meant you could only see to take one step. When you took that step, you could see to take another. You took that step, you could see to take another. And so forth. And so we don't get our whole life laid out before us. We've got to walk by faith, by trusting God day by day. A man plans his way but the Lord orders his steps. And so Solomon only had an appearance from God twice, and that was in a dream. And God said to him, I am going to hear your prayer, and my eyes are always going to be perpetually upon this spot that you've built for me. And God honored that. And God told him that he would be with him. But then he says, now if you walk, If you walk before me as your father David walked in the integrity of heart in an uprightness to do all according that I have commanded you, and if you keep my statutes and my judgments, then I will. He says, if you will, then I will. That's not the only time he says that in this particular verse, starting at verse 3 and so forth. But look at verse 6. He says, But if you or your sons at all turn from following me and do not keep my commandments and my statutes, which I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will. Here again, if you do this, I will do this. But he said, but if you do this, then I will do this. The reality is that for all of us, there are conditions to the blessing of God. Sometimes we think, well, our lives are filled with grace, and so therefore there are no conditions. There are always conditions. God in his grace and his mercy is good to us in spite of what we do many times. But God is not obligated to do anything. Grace teaches us obedience. And if we do not obey, we cannot claim the blessings of God. We have to call out for his mercy. And so this is exactly what God was telling Solomon. He said, if you do not obey me and walk in my ways, then you're not going to have the great blessing of protection that I have given you. And so then it goes on to talk about Hiram, Hiram, we call him. Solomon had 
evidently given him some cities in the area of what is Haifa today and Akko, that northern coastline of ancient and modern-day Israel. And he was displeased with it because Hiram had given the king 120 talents of gold. Now, that's millions of dollars. And it's interesting that Solomon got the same amount in chapter 10 and verse 10. It says that the queen of Sheba brought him 120 talents of gold, the very amount that he needed to pay back Hiram for what he had given to him. So this is just a chronicle of some of the episodes in Solomon's life. God was saying to Solomon, I have a plan for your life. I will bless you when you walk in my ways. I will bless you. But if you turn away from me, you cannot expect my blessing. David turned away from me, but he turned back to me. We know, as we read in the chapters ahead, that Solomon turned away from God and did not turn back. He did not repent. He had the kingdom not taken away from him, but his family and his son after him, Rehoboam. The kingdom split in two was never the same again and never has been since. Verse 15 says, and this is the reason for the labor force which King Solomon raised. He wanted to build the house of the Lord, his own house, the Milo. That's a terraced wall more than likely, uh, the wall of Jerusalem. And he needed to build the chariot cities, Hatzor, Megiddo, and Gezer. Now, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, had gone up and taken Gezer and burned it with fire and killed the Canaanites who dwelt in the city. And he gave it as a dowry to his daughter, when she married Solomon. But Hatzor, Megiddo, and Gezer, the ruins of those are really fascinating ruins to this very day. I was just in Megiddo last week, and Hatzor and Gezer are almost identical cities. They're laid out the same way. They all have water tunnels. They uh, have fortifications that are very much alike because they serve the same purpose. Hatsor is the northernmost, we call it Hazer. Hatsor is the northernmost chariot city, and it guards the Hula Valley, H-U-L-A, the Hula Valley. And that is the northern entrance to the nation of Israel. On one side of the Hula Valley are the high Naphtali Mountains, and Lebanon, the border with Lebanon, is on the other side of those mountains toward the sea. Then you have the valley, and then you have the Golan, the Habashan, which is on the eastern side of the Hula Valley, and it is a plateau. It is a pasture land and fertile soil. If you came in from the north, for instance, from Damascus or what would be modern-day Turkey in that area, and you came down or you came from Mesopotamia, and you came the northern route, if you went into the valley from Hatsor, you can be seen. Then there could be a party sent out to tax or to attack or do whatever need to be done. And so that's the northern valley that it guarded, the critical Hula Valley, which up until really the last hundred years was more than anything swamp. It had a lake there prior to the state of Israel becoming a state. It was called the Hula Lake. It was uh, not as big, of course, as the Sea of Galilee, but it was more like a swamp. 
The Jordan, Upper Jordan ran into it and it was just a basin. But that Hula Valley was guarded by the northern chariot city, Hatsor, and even Joshua went that far and burned the city as recorded in the book of Joshua in the northern campaign. But then in the central valley, the Jezreel Valley, the valley that is called in the book of Revelation, Armageddo, the mountain of Megiddo, uh, the chariot city there, many people who travel to Israel go to that city because of the archaeological digs that have gone on there, and it's uh, centrally located when people are touring the land of Israel. So many have been to Megiddo, but it is a fascinating place. Napoleon says the greatest battlefield on earth, that uh, Jezreel Valley, and will be the site of the battle after the uh, Great Tribulation, at the end of the Great Tribulation. But the Chariot City was there, and it guarded that Jezreel Valley, because if you came the Via Maris, the way of the sea, and came through the Arun Pass, you would come out from the south to the north into the the Jezreel Valley, that pass ended right there at the city of Megiddo. And when you came out, you were looking straight across the valley at uh, Mount Tabor. And Mount Tabor is the land compass for all of that central valley. And if you go to the right, you go to Damascus, then into the Mesopotamia Valley, the Euphrates Valley. If you turn north from there and go north, then you'll go into what is modern-day Turkey and eventually into Europe if you continue on a westward journey. And so it was a critical valley. And that is the city of Megiddo. Now, Gezer also guarded a valley. And like Hatsor guarded the Hula Valley in the north. And Megiddo, the central valley, the Jezreel Valley. Gezer is the chariot city that Solomon had over that southern route, the Via Maris, and the incense trail that went across, that went east to west, was the gateway to the coast, and it guarded the Ajalon, or the Ayalon Valley. And uh, that is where, you remember, Joshua said to the sun, stand still, we've got a battle to fight here, and God honored that. The sun uh, stood still, and the day went on. That is the Ayalon Valley, and as you come from Jerusalem going to the coast, Again, many who go to Israel, when they are going to the airport day or night, over back over to Lod, to Lydda, modern day, what is modern day Ben-Gurion Airport, is the ancient city of Lydda, uh, or the Old Testament Lod, L-O-D. This is, as you go to the airport, you go down by way of Bet Shemesh, and then into the Shephelah, and you see the coastal plain in front of you lying before you. That's the Ayalon or Ajalon Valley. And Gezer is very near there. And it's a chariot city, just like Megiddo, just like Hatzor. And the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, gave that to Solomon as a wedding gift to his daughter. And so chapter 9 deals with all of these details of Solomon's reign. But we're going to see that after chapter 10, things began to turn downhill because Solomon's heart was taken away because Solomon's heart turned away from God and turned toward idolatry due to all of these foreign marriages and his lust and desire after women. And the Bible says it turned his heart away. And so these great details that we're getting about all these cities and Jerusalem and all that he built and the beautiful temple, it is overshadowed 
by the fact that Solomon, even though he started well and did many wonderful things, he did not finish well. And because of that, yes, we remember Solomon and we marvel at his wisdom and how God blessed him. But God said, if you do not obey me, then you're not going to receive the blessing of protection and of prosperity. And indeed, God allowed Solomon great mercy and great grace, but there is a time when God says enough's enough. And even God's mercy extended all of Solomon's life, but he said, your son is going to pay for this. Your family is going to pay for this because of your disobedience. The kingdom is going to be torn from Judah and you're only going to get to keep one tribe. And indeed he did. And in the podcast that lie ahead, we're going to see just the devastation of Solomon's disobedience. It always pays to walk with God on the way. This is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at tonycrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at tonycrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.